As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello and welcome to Off Air with me, Jane Garvey. And me, Fee Glover. And we are fresh from our brand new Times radio show, but we just cannot be contained by two hours of live broadcasting. So we've kept the microphones on, grabbed a cuppa and are ready to say what we really think. Unencumbered and Off Air. Welcome to day four of Jane and Fee Off Air, which is the pocket-sized version of our live Times Radio show, Monday to Thursday, three till five. And we're speaking in the decompression chamber, uh, which they put us into after the live show. And how would I you... I like ass- coming in here. I like coming in yeah. here. It's like a cosy because place. Because it definitely has a different kind of blend of oxygen, I think. Maybe we're just not doing enough deep breathing when we're in the studio together. We should say we are in this new building at News UK and the lifts boast some sort of purified air, don't they? Do they? Yeah, have you not seen that that sticker that's in the lift? No, I haven't. I'm a bit confused by the lifts because they're those very modern ones where you, you press on a screen uh, the floor that you want to go to and then it tells you which lift is going to come and mm. take you there and I cannot get used to not getting in a lift and pressing the button for the floor. I find yeah. it very disconcerting, Jane. It does a lot I of may the get work used for to you. It. No, well, you may. But what um, happens if you change your mind? You can't. <laughs> well, I don't like that. Okay. I just, I'm putting that out there. It does take choice out of the picture. You're quite right. I haven't thought of it that way. Um, something we should say is that, um, well, we don't want to, we, we're not, but well, we are boasting a bit. Are you about to boast? I am about to okay. boast. And that is to say, first of all, thank you for listening to this podcast and putting it in the charts, which we really do appreciate. Uh, tell all your friends, tell those friends who may have lost faith in us, lost interest, frankly, uh, that we are available in this handy form daily after our live radio show. But we're also in another chart. In fact, we're not just in the chart, we're at the top of the chart. <laughs> what chart so. is that, Fee? Well, this is a so this is a classic humble brag coming, isn't it? So we've written a book together. We've ended up top of the Silver Surfers chart this week. It's can I just say it's the all important <laughs> Silver Surfers chart. We're number one in Amazon paperback Silver, Silver Surfers, Surfers books. Yeah. And that's no mean feat. Um, and we are delighted. We'll take it. And uh, if we only exist purely to make our kids find things funny about us, then we've succeeded again this week, haven't yeah, we? So I think for excellent. a while we were number one in radio plays, though, weren't we? And although mm. we've both worked in radio and sometimes we have played at work, but we've never written a radio play and no. the book isn't a radio play. No, so I love sometimes it's a bit like the lifts. You know, you you make all these lovely algorithms and you make all this fantastic, fancy schmancy modern stuff. There's always a bit of a gap where mm. human experience 
could tell you a thing or two. Yeah. I'm sounding very old-fashioned. Usually that's your job to be yeah, old-fashioned. Perhaps secretly you are older than me. No. Um, tonight, it's Thursday as we speak, and uh, I should say that I think potentially the worst TV show ever made is on telly tonight. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so if you happen to be available to watch uh, after you've heard this, 8 o'clock BBC One, it'll also be on the iPlayer. How they've got the audacity to stick it on the iPlayer, I don't know. It's unbreakable, everybody, in which Rob Beckett, the comedian, takes some apparently celebrity couples. And I'm normally very resistant to those people who go, celebrity, I didn't know any of them, because often it's just people's ignorance that they don't know who these people are. You will struggle to recognise anybody in this unbreakable show. And what's the format of The unbreakable? format is, it's kind of, it's a knockout teamed with, do you remember Mr and Mrs? I used to rather like Mr and Mrs. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. a gentle charm about Mr and Mrs, although they always sensed there was the potential for real grief just beneath the surface. Oh, I think after the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all sorts of things would be said and possibly worse. Uh, no, this is hideous and Rob Beckett is helped by some relationship experts to assess the the, the strength of the celebrity relationships at play as they are tested by a series of physical challenges. It's absolute trifle, as I hope I've illustrated. <laughs> but the best thing about it is that one of the celebrities, I did recognise Denise Welsh, to be fair. I like Denise. Um, and she has a very nice uh, boyfriend. But um, it's Charlie Mullins, the guy who sold Pimlico Plumbers. Do you know the guy I mean? I know exactly who you mean, yes. yes. And he has, you'll be amazed to hear, his partner. She's a singer-songwriter. She's called Rara. Do you think she's older or younger than Charlie Mullins? Charlie Mullins is 69. I think she's probably 72, Jane, with a name like that. She's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, love comes in, in all manner of ways, ages, demographics. No, it doesn't. Needs, wants, desires. Uh, so who are you to judge? Oh, I'm, I'm absolutely no one. And um, I, I wouldn't turn down a celebrity plumber if one came my way. <laughs> you know, I'd love to see the, the ITV retaliation programme, which of course is called Breakable, yeah, <laughs> where exactly the same couples go on and see if they can split up amicably on ITV. <laughs> on ITV. Yeah. Well, well, let's see. Okay, well, there we are. An absolute world away from Unbreakable is, is our guest today because yeah, we love talking a, a to him. Proper, didn't we? proper class act, someone yes, who's actually exactly. done something proper. Not that plumbing isn't proper, but uh, Tim Peake, astronaut to the stars. Oh, do you know is what? How I we're should, we should him. have asked him about plumbing dramas in space, shouldn't we? What happens when your U-Bend goes? I'm not even sure. I mean, it is always a real temptation with an astronaut to just veer into toileting really early on. I thought you did very well. well we were both so yep. determined that we wouldn't that I think we might have just missed a golden opportunity to ask about U-Bends in space. Well, I'm sure that they do have some tools up there. They would be unwise if they didn't. And actually, I think probably there are some plumbing firms who would promise that they'd come out to space. Pimlico <laughs> plumbers. I mean, you'd need to you'd need a quid or two, but I bet they'd say they would. Yeah. Other plumbing firms are available. Yeah, yeah, we can get there by Wednesday morning. Drums, fingers on table <laughs> on Thursday evening. Uh, can I just do a couple of very quick emails yes, before on, yeah. we introduce the Tim Peak? Just because this one is from Emily on Twitter. And for some reason, the staff here... Hello, Ben. Uh, have put it in bold. I've just tuned in to Times Radio and blimey that Jane Garvey is broadcasting royalty. Her voice alone grounds me. I'm very pleased they've got this new show. I'm just circling alone. <laughs> sentence. Look, come on. The Slough Cooperative. 
Where are you when I need you? Right, shall we go into Tim Peake? Yes, I think we... Uh, Tim, how do you describe him? He is Britain's second astronaut, the first Briton to do a spacewalk, uh, the first Briton to go to the International Space Station. Uh, before that, he was a helicopter... He was at Sandhurst, then he was a helicopter pilot, then he was a test pilot, and then through the European Space Agency, he was recruited to go up to the International Space Station. And he's just, as most astronauts, I think all astronauts are, a truly extraordinary human being. But as he says in the interview, it's a certain type of personality that succeeds at this extraordinarily high level. Yeah, and I they think are... they, yeah, they may have weeded out the people who are a bit like, well, oh, space, whatever. Mm. So you are going to get the people who but are they've also highly more, enthusiastic. More importantly, they've weeded out the prats. Because you can't be, there's no room for an egomaniac in space or someone with an ego of yeah. any kind, actually. Wouldn't it be fantastic? Actually, do you know what? That's the game show that you want. Put normal people through a little bit of the psychological space testing programme. I'd, I'd like to see that, genuinely. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Well, I'm formatting that. You're my witness. Okay. Yeah, you can present it. Uh, so should we hear a little bit of Tim? He is in to talk about a book that he's written, which is aimed at kids to explain to them every single thing to do with our known universe. I mean, the inspiration has really come from, from spacewalking and looking down on planet Earth. But in terms of actually the big questions in life, where did we come from? How did we get here? What are we all made of? Um, they were the kind of questions that I would ask myself as a young lad looking up to the, to the stars and, and wondering. So this book is definitely my attempt to try and answer that and to put some really big questions down and understandable into the format that children will enjoy. OK, so did you write your address on the inside of a school notebook, Tim Peak, number 16, Acacia Avenue, blah, 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 Earth, the universe, or was it Earth, the Milky Way, the universe? Was Which one was it? It was. I mean, it, it, the funny thing is that actually, although you do that as a child, when um, I had the opportunity to go into space, it almost feels like you, you want to put that as your address again. My address was, you know, the, the deck floor of the International Space Station in a location near planet Earth. Uh, and, uh, and what was really funny is I actually had a letter delivered to the space station from Her Majesty the Queen that had had address on it. And it was the most wonderful thing to receive up on the space station. So do you now see your life as the years pre-space station and post-space station in terms of the way you think about your life? Um, I do, but uh, I wouldn't say it's that in isolation. I think all of us, as we journey through life, we we pick up experiences from so many different things that we do, um, whether they're actually part of our job, whether they're physical experience, whether they're emotional experiences. And certainly traveling into space was a major uh, part of my life and has had a, a big impact. But um, so was being a test pilot. So was becoming a father. Um, and so I, I kind of th feel that, you know, life goes through in these incremental phases. But yes, space is definitely a huge part of it. I suppose what I'm really getting at is the kind of stuff that I think William Shatner has talked about, that impression that you get from space of our home planet and how it changes you. What about that? Yes, it does. It does change you forever, really. And it gives you a completely different perspective of the planet. And it's it's something that I draw strength from, actually. I, I can uh, always see myself up on the space station looking down at Earth and, and, and realising, you know, how incredibly beautiful our planet is, but also how fragile it looks against this vast black backdrop of, of space. And, and we are just travelling through 
a very ordinary solar system or orbiting a very ordinary star in this ordinary galaxy of the Milky Way. And it does allow you to kind of step back and, and see things in a slightly different perspective. So you do this enormous amount of training on planet Earth and then you go up to the International Space Station. Have you come across people who cannot make the same kind of connection with where they are, though, so they do slightly lose it once they get to space, even though they have trained to imagine themselves to be in that situation? Um, I've not heard that from any professional astronauts. Our training is so incredibly thorough um, and it prepares you for every eventuality. I mean, it is difficult to fully prepare you for weightlessness and the view of Earth and how your perception will change. But uh, generally speaking, we, we've trained so long and so hard that um, it's not such a shock to the system that when you go into space that, that you do have a major change. I love the way that you said professional astronauts. Are there amateur astronauts? Where are they? <laughs> well, it's interesting that that um, previously you might have thought that every astronaut was a professional astronaut. But there's a big difference between an International Space Station crew member who is you know, qualified to fly spacecraft, dock spacecraft, do spacewalks, medical training, etc. to perhaps somebody who might fly into space with Blue Origin or Virgin Galactic, who has done a, a very small amount of training just so that they can look after themselves for a very short duration flight. What um, personality traits should immediately disqualify you from becoming <laughs> a, a, an astronaut or a resident of the space station? <laughs> well, you're not looking for extremes of personality, so neither extremely introvert nor extrovert um, uh, in terms of how you uh, relate to other people as well. You want people to be confident, not fearful, but you don't want them to be overconfident. So if you're looking at the psychological profile of an astronaut, it will be uh, it will be kind of down the middle in most of the categories. Uh, I know you. I think I know already what the answer to this is, but have you ever been on the space station or during the time that you were there, did you ever come across someone who you thought should not have been there because of their personality? No, absolutely not. I, I knew I you think, were going to say um, that, Tim. We, we work so closely with our teammates. We do all sorts of training, for example, seven days living in a cave and 12 days living underwater. Uh, these environments are designed to put us under stress, into difficult circumstances, to test us to our limits. So we get to know ourselves very well. We get to know our crewmates very well. And we get to practice all of those really important interpersonal relationships. So you don't want any conflict, any uh, clash of personalities in space. And by the time we get to the space station, we pretty much have dealt with all of that during our training. Right. And, and how quickly, and this sounds very fatuous, but how quickly does weightlessness become, well, frankly, not a novelty, a bit of a nuisance? I don't think it ever does become a nuisance. It's something that you have to spend a bit of time getting used to. And it gets frustrating at the very early stages because it's like learning to do any sport, any skill. You're not very good at it. Uh, it's very easy to mis misplace things. If you leave something floating in space, look away, look back, it will not be there. Um, you know, no matter how delicately you try and release it, it's going to float away. But the more you get used to working in weightlessness, actually, it becomes a very liberating environment. And um, you can actually work really quickly, really efficiently. You can use all the volume in a small space. I mean, we have so much wasted volume in the rooms that we're all in here on Earth that we're not using. On the space station, we're using every inch of volume inside that spacecraft. So Tim, this is the first children's non-fiction book about space, the one that you've written. 
Do today's kids ask the same questions and need to know the same things as your generation needed to know as kids? And do you have to take on board all of the different ways that children at the moment can find facts and entertainment and enjoy virtual reality? And they're different, aren't they, in lots of ways? Yeah, clearly things have moved on an awful lot. But do you know what? The fundamental questions haven't really changed that much. And I think the same questions that I was asking myself as a young uh, young boy are being asked by young boys and girls um, all over the world today about where did we come from? How did we get here? You know, what is the Big Bang? How are stars formed? What about black holes and neutron stars and supernova? All these kind of things. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. And I think what's great is today, of course, we know, we know much more than we did because of science. And because of technology, things like the Hubble Space Telescope and more recently the James Webb Space Telescope, which are giving us amazing photographs, amazing amounts of information. So we can look further back into the universe and we can answer things more accurately. So I think the questions are the same. The answers have changed slightly. Yeah. Jane was saying that one of her favourite outings for her children was the Science Museum where kids and mine were the same, they go straight for anything to do with space. You know, there's a, just an element of wonder, especially about seeing objects that have been in space. But at the same time, I know that my kids, they, they can experience a virtual reality that can tell them that they can be in space themselves. The, you know, the, the boundaries have changed a little bit, haven't they? Well, I think what virtual reality does is it allows you to immerse yourself in an environment. And I think that's brilliant. It could, we actually use virtual reality as a training method here on Earth. We, we learn to fly a jetpack in virtual reality. We have to pass a jetpack exam before we can go and do a spacewalk. We practice our spacewalks in a VR environment, even on board the space station. So that's one of the most amazing things is, is being in virtual reality in space. Um, so it's, it's a great tool that enables us to experience more. And I think that what's fascinating is, um, you know, young children today have got access to some of these devices and they can experience these things and, and get closer to what it's actually like to be out in space. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com
Can we just talk about the male ego in space, um, if you don't mind, Tim? I mean, you seem a man who, ironically, is very down to earth. But um, I'm thinking of the likes of Bezos and uh, Mr. Musk and our own Richard Branson. Uh, what is it about these very, very rich guys and their interest in space? Are you entirely comfortable with all that? Well, I think I, I would probably break those down into uh, individual companies and, and perhaps um, with Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos, uh, they're looking at doing something separate to Elon Musk in, in terms of they're looking at um, trips to space in low Earth orbit, suborbital. So they're not getting into orbit. They're, they're simply going up 100 kilometers, breaking the space boundary and back down again. Um, it's a very commercial endeavor and it's there for the enjoyment of people who can afford it at the moment. What SpaceX are doing are very much part of the space exploration program going back to the moon and as a stepping stone to Mars. They're on the critical path. We can't do these Artemis missions, which will see humans walk on the moon again in 2025. We can't do that without SpaceX. They're building the lander system that's going to take us down to the surface of the moon. And they're providing a lot of logistic support. Um, so I think it's important to make that differentiation between those three different companies. Um, and, and I think it's fascinating that so many people have an interest in space. And of course, one of the hurdles to that is, is finances. And when you have wealthy people, they've decided to put their finances into space exploration. But a lot of that is not being spent in space, of course. It's jobs for the economy. It's technology that will be used down here on Earth to improve people's lives down on Earth. Some of the things we do on the space station, for example, it's all about um, solar panel technology. It's about carbon dioxide removal techniques, water purification systems, pharmaceutical research. Everything about the space station is about improving life for people down on Earth. Who's policing all of the space traffic? The policing of the space traffic is a really interesting question because it's one that needs to improve. As we use space more and more, we need to protect it as an environment. We need to think about the debris and we need to think about the policing. Uh, the United Nations 1967 Outer Space Treaty is the specific answer to your question. Um, and we are constantly revising that and updating that. But it is an old treaty and the, the pace of space exploration at the moment is very rapid. And the rules and the regulations are not keeping up. So we need to make sure that we continue to collaborate, work together and explore space responsibly. And talking of responsibility, when you do particularly your stage shows, where I, I guess that there must be a huge family audience to these stage shows. I gather they're, they're absolutely brilliant. But how early on in proceedings does somebody ask about climate change and about whether we can really afford to do these incredible adventures in space, which may well have an, an impact here on Earth? Yeah, it's a really important question. So to break those down into the two areas, firstly, climate change. We need space for climate data, more than 50%, a lot more than 50% of our climate data comes from Earth observation satellites. So without that, we do not have a finger on the pulse of our own planet. And it's, it's actually vital that we can see what's happening in terms of ocean salinity, in terms of uh, biomass, in terms of uh, carbon dioxide emissions over city centres uh, or other gases. And what's really important is if political decisions are made with those Earth observation assets, we can see the implications of those decisions. So, for example, the ultra low emission zone over, over London, we can actually see instantly the effect that that will have uh, and that will help our politicians to have faith in what they're doing and the science to bring down emissions and to clean up the, the environment. 
So it's important that we continue to, to use these assets to monitor climate change and inform us so that we can make the right decisions at the right time. In terms of the impact that space is having on the climate, um, we, you know, the space industry is a fraction of a percent of even the aviation industry, for example, in terms of the carbon output. When you see rockets launching to space, it's very easy to make the assumption that they're belching out um, a lot of carbon. Now, a lot of rocket fuel is actually hydrogen and oxygen, which is a byproduct of water. And what you're seeing there are clouds of water vapor. That's not to say that the space industry shouldn't be working as hard as they possibly can to be sustainable and to have a low impact on the environment, um, which they are. But actually, we're getting a huge amount of benefit. So the second part of your question was on about the finances. How can we afford to be doing this? Uh, and again, it's important to look at the figures and the return on the investment. So in the UK, for example, we get a, a 10 times investment for our for every pound we invest into the European Space Agency. We're getting 10 times back. Uh, it employs 50,000 people. It's worth about 16 and a half billion to the economy every year. It's a massive growth sector. You could understand how the how space could become run along exactly the same geopolitical lines as planet Earth is, uh, which is a developed wealthy world and an undeveloped less wealthy world, not existing very well alongside each other. Well, I think that it, space is something that is expensive, has traditionally been expensive, and therefore countries that have um, budgets uh, where they feel they can afford to participate in a space program have been driving forward. Um, having said that, you know, if you look around the world, countries such as Brazil, such as India, um, have quite advanced space programs. Um, and when the European Space Agency is looking at including all of its member states of, of Europe, of course, everybody is reaping the benefits of what we're doing in terms of space science and space exploration. And also companies are looking at using space for the benefits of, of everybody around the world. Things like uh, SpaceX Starlink satellite system is going to provide internet to rural areas, uh, internet to those areas which do not have the infrastructure for a 5G network, for example. And we know today that if you are not connected to the internet, you are extremely disadvantaged. So by providing people access to technology, you are empowering them and helping that country to develop and to be at a, a, in a better circumstance. Tim, can you just take us um, inside your head as you're waiting to launch. Do, do you consider yourself a brave person? I mean, I would consider you brave, but I want to hear it from you. Um, I think I, I've always considered myself to have uh, an interesting appetite to risk, I guess. I don't ever no, that's, consider that's myself... Brave, Tim. It's not an appetite for risk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't consider myself to be an adrenaline junkie, but then when people point out to me that I enjoy you know, parachuting, motorbike riding, flying helicopters and flying to space, then you kind of have to press... <laughs> You have to perhaps rethink your position on that. Um, but I, I've always kind of thought that I, when I do things, it's it's always with a balanced approach to risk. As a test pilot, you would never go off and just jump in an aircraft and take it to its limits without fully considering every eventuality, what could possibly go wrong and have you got a plan for it. And that's how we approach spaceflight. So when we sit on top of that rocket, yes, we're aware that we're putting ourselves at risk. Um, but we have trained so hard for every eventuality. There's just a small amount of risk left, which is the uncontrollable stuff. And, you know, if it's something you can't control, 
put it to one side. Yeah, don't but worry about I, it. I don't want to push you, but what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about your family? Are you, uh, what are, what's no. in your head? I mean, you've said goodbye to your family. It's, it's very much a mental mindset. On launch day, there's a whole range of emotions. And, and yes, when you're there, you're behind the glass, you're saying your final farewells. It's very emotional. And um, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do to, to wave goodbye to my family um, but when you actually sit on top of the rocket, you make a mental uh, mindset change. You're operationally focused. You need that clarity of thought. You need um, to be able to have fast decision making processes and you need to be absolutely focused on, on the job in hand. So it's one of excitement and, and, and adrenaline. But I'm not thinking of my family. I'm, I'm not thinking about what could catastrophically go wrong. No, it's, it's very much focused on the mission ahead. Right. Your wife must be very lovely because, I mean, it's bad enough, isn't it, waving goodbye to your husband off on a golfing weekend, but <laughs> off to the International <laughs> Space Station. Did he mow the lawn? Did he do the laundry? <laughs> off you go. Bye. <laughs> Did you have a careers teacher at school, Tim? And if so, my, uh, have you seen them since? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, my, my poor wife's been long-suffering uh, both when I was a test pilot and, and as an astronaut. I think she was just delighted that for six months she would know exactly where I was. Um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there was probably less risk involved in flying to space as well than, than flying helicopters. Um, so, you know, but I, I've had so much support from my family. I, I couldn't have done any of it without that. And in, in terms of ambition, I mean, tell me that when your head hits the pillow last thing at night, you're not agonising over anything because um, in a way you, well, you've, you've achieved a multitude of ambitions already, surely. I haven't been very, very fortunate. I've had a very exciting career, very re rewarding career. Um, I think it's important to give back as well, which is why I'm so passionate about, you know, uh, reaching out in the education department to schools, colleges, universities, because I think we have to help to inspire our future generations. Um, but I, I, I love uh, traveling now around around the planet. I, you know, there are places that I have, have seen only from space um, that I'd still like to go and visit. In Patagonia, for example, the southern ice fields, which are magnificent, past the Sahara Desert, um, over in Kamchatka, volcanoes erupting. So there are so many places on, on my bucket list now that I would like to go and see, you know, fr down here on Earth, having seen them from space. Tim Peake, um, just uh, a wonderful and jo joyous opportunity to talk to the guy. Um, I think that line about at least his wife knew where he was for six months. Do you think he might have used that before? We both laughed. <laughs> yeah, I, say. No, I thought it was very good. But yeah. also he did say, you know, thank you to my family. It's a very, um, it's a, it's both a selfless and a selfish thing to do, isn't it? Because you know that you might lose your life. It's a dangerous activity to undertake. I suppose that's the selfless thing. But the selfish thing is you are away from your family yeah. and they might lose you. So uh, I thought he answered all our questions very well. I'm intrigued to know if in future generations space becomes less exciting, unbelievable, amazing as it has been to us throughout our lives. I really hope it doesn't and it worries me a little bit that if you can go up there just rich people can go up there then mm. somehow some of the wonder does go you mean the wrong sort of people are our ambassadors in the sense that they're witnessing something that the rest of us couldn't begin to afford yeah and i don't Perhaps. want to hear another rich person's no. view of you know what space means to them because part of the joy i think as a kid why nearly all kids love space is because it belongs to you your parents haven't been there they can't tell you what it's like they can't do the patronizing is that why this kids also like dinosaurs 
Well, I, po quite possibly. But you do. You feel that it's yours. You're the first. You're the first little person to ever look up at the moon and see a face in it. You know, it's it's a wondrous thing. And then I don't want it with the best will in the world, Jane. Uh, I don't want it told to me uh, by incredibly, incredibly wealthy individual, largely men. Yeah. I'm with your sister. Mm. Well, I certainly am with her. Uh, I have no choice in the matter. <laughs> Monday uh, to Thursday. <laughs> yes. Uh, and we should say that we won't be here tomorrow with Off Air, except we kind of will because there's a bonus ball of an edition tomorrow, which features a conversation we had with the Labour MP, Jess Phillips. Yeah, we spoke to Jess live from the Podcast Day 24 conference, uh, which we all attended together. And we talked about how she's managed to traverse the world of politics, her work, and then turning her attention to that of her brilliant podcast, which is called Yours Sincerely. Uh, a fair warning on this, dear listeners. Uh, she may be a red politician, but her language does get a little bit blue. Right. Well, let, let that. I mean, I think our listeners are relatively mature. Um, they'll be able to handle a few F's and Jeff's, won't they? I don't know. We've warned them. We so. have warned them. We've done everything yep. in our power to ease their passage through that bonus <laughs> podcast, which will be available tomorrow. And we are back, back, back on Monday for the podcast around this time, no doubt, because you can listen whenever you like, and then live on the radio at three o'clock on Times Radio. I've got an interesting challenge ahead this weekend. I'm visiting my younger daughter's student house for the first time. And I understand they're having a little bit of a tidy up before I get there. So I'll report back next week. You have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you liked what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this but live. Uh, then you can, Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times Radio. Yeah. Embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.